Good. So we're going to pick up in Acts again today, um, Acts chapter uh, 8, uh, verse 26. And the title of today's message is Arise and Go. Arise and Go. And again, I'm not that creative. Uh, this is just stuff that we see right in Scripture. It's sometimes easy uh, to come up with a title if you just read through and see uh, what might stick out. But last time when we were in Acts, we saw that Saul uh, had set out on a path of persecution. That after uh, Stephen's death, as Paul was consenting there, holding his coats, he went out and he began to, as the Bible says, make havoc of the church, to spread the church, to kill the church, to arrest the church, to give them um, a bad name in the community. Uh, and a result of that and other persecution, the church began to be slandered and scattered. That this persecution happened and the church began to spread out and go out. That these people couldn't stay in their homes anymore. They were, uh, couldn't stay in their businesses and they fled for their lives. Um, a lot of the apostles, as we saw, ended up staying around in the area. Uh, but most people were scattered. Um, and this was just uh, the beginning of, of many scatterings that these people would see. But, you know, that there was a positive result to all this, that despite all the hardship, despite probably the fear and being arrested, that uh, this caused the gospel message, in a sense, to be multiplied. Because instead of it just being localized uh, in the Jerusalem area where Jesus was resurrected and ascended and where the apostles were and the message had begun to go out in the community, uh, God said, now it's time for this message to go even further. And how is he going to do that? Well, it was through the persecution. It was through causing people to get up and leave um, by force. Um, and, you know, it's great that, you know, even though that Saul thought he was doing a great service to God uh, by persecuting the church, uh, he thought he was doing it uh, by getting rid of the church. But God said, no, I'm in control. And as much as you think you're destroying the church, you're instead, you're doing uh, my work. Uh, Simon the sorcerer we saw. Uh, he was a sorcerer, he was a famous uh, in the area. He gets saved, but we saw that he wasn't quite yet sanctified, that he hadn't yet, you know, really understood the gospel. He thought that he could buy the power of God, the Holy Spirit, um, with money. But today we're going to look at uh, a message from an angel. We're going to meet a man named Philip, and we're going to uh, uh, see uh, and hear about an Ethiopian eunuch and what happens with him. But again, uh, just to refresh, Acts uh, Praxeus is acts of great men, but really it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through people he has made great. And we're going to see something great take place uh, today in the scriptures. And um, again, sometimes when we go to the scriptures, we think, oh man, God could never use me for something like that. God could never do something like that in my life. Well, he can and he will, because not that Philip was necessarily great, but God used him to do great things. But we see all the time in the Bible that it's simple people, it's real people who are effective for the kingdom. Why? Because of God's presence. Because of God's presence. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you've come from and where you're going, if God's presence, if God's hand is on your life, great things are going to happen. Maybe it means you'll be persecuted. Maybe it means you'll have to flee your hometown and go spread the gospel somewhere. But I guarantee that God is going to do great things in you and through you and around you. Um, but a couple of questions to start off our study today, really. Uh, number one, uh, where are you? Where are you? That could be physically, you know, what town or city. Uh, we were at the pumpkin picking yesterday, and there was a photographer for a newspaper coming around. And he says, where are you guys from? And we kind of had to think for a minute. Uh, and we said, oh, yeah, Rockville, Maryland. You know, <laughs> you know, we've been here almost six months already, and we're, I don't know how many times we've been asked where you're from. So it was kind of, how do we process this one? 
but maybe where you work, where's your house, where do you play, where are you? Uh, maybe in your past, where were you? Where are you right now? Where are you going in the future? Maybe your upbringing, your culture, you know, like we were talking about driving before and how drivers are so different down here. You know, I still consider myself a New York driver. I'm sure people down here would say I'm the worst driver on the road. But to New York, I'm, I would fit in. <laughs> but that's the same thing, you know, uh, where are we? Um, and what's your five-year plan? Have you ever heard that one before on a job interview? What's your five-year plan? Was this uh, Glasnost, Perestroika, is so, uh, Soviet Russia? Um, you know, what their five-year plan was? Um, but really, uh, what is it? Do you have one? And uh, let me say, God may have something totally unexpected. We may plan out, and not that it's wrong to plan or save for retirement or say, maybe next year we'll go do this, but God may have something totally unexpected for you, something completely different than what your plan is, and probably something insanely unimaginable. As we'll see today um, with Philip, I'm sure that he could not imagine what was going to happen to him right around the corner. Um, you know, this is pretty crazy what we're going to see in a minute here, but I say God may have something for you and for me right around the corner from us that we're totally um, unexpected to. You ever pull out of a driveway or a corner and they have those mirrors and you have to like look at the mirror and see if another car is coming and it's all convex. And I think sometimes, you know, we get blindsided by around the corner because we're not paying attention. But I think that today, as we read the scriptures, God may be sticking one of those little mirrors out in the corner in front of us that as we begin to inch out and pull out in our walk with him, he might say, hey, there's something special coming for you right around the corner. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look into it and be uh, touched by you and, and more of that, that we can hear you and know you as our Father. We pray that, God, you would speak to us, you would teach us the scriptures, that we might have a right understanding of your word. And God, may uh, your word go forth today. And uh, God, we uh, ask that you would just uh, open us to that by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the first uh, couple of verses here, uh, Acts eight twenty six. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Um, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Sorry, let me get a little organized here. But we see the first thing that happens is that Philip is there, and it says an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and this angel said, Arise and go. And it's interesting that an angel told him this. Um, you know, it reminds me of other things in the, in the Bible. John the Baptist's birth, an angel shows up. Uh, Mary, an angel shows up. Gideon, an angel shows up. Daniel has been praying about things, and uh, 21 days later, I guess it was, an angel shows up to him. Um, but all these things, an angel has showed up in the past. I think it's interesting that just because it's the New Testament doesn't mean that God's still not going to send an angel to speak to one of his apostles. I would say it's probably going to be less likely that an angel would show up to you or I today, um, given that we have the entire scriptures and we have the message of God. But don't be surprised. I mean, the Bible even tells us that we need to be um, uh, where, uh, remember to entertain strangers, rather, um, because who knows, maybe an angel that we're entertaining. But an angel may show up one day and deliver a message to you. And again, like we saw last week uh, in Galatians, that we better, it better not be a doctrine of demons. If an angel comes to you and gives you a message that's not in the scriptures or doesn't line up with the scriptures, um, don't listen to it. Don't obey it. 
But this word arise here, um, anastemi, uh, it reminds me sort of an anesthesia. I didn't do a, a big enough Greek word study on that to, to know what, uh, if it's connected, but it kind of reminds me of that. And I think it's interesting given the connotation of this word that it says it's to cause to rise up or to raise up. It's to raise up from laying down. It's also used to raise, uh, raise up from the dead, like he rose from the dead. Um, it's also of those who leave a place to go elsewhere or prepare themselves for a journey. It's also in the sense of with kingdoms and prophets where, you know, this kingdom arose out of the east or this kingdom came out of here or this, uh, uh, you know, empire arose. Um, but it's also about those who, to enter into a conversation or dispute with anyone. Maybe something wrong's going on and you get up and you say, hey, that's not right. Or, hey, let's talk about this. Uh, it's got this great connotation to it. And the word go means to, to lead over, to carry over, to transfer. But it can also mean to pursue the journey on which one is entered, to continue on one's journey. That, hey, there's a journey before you. This word go is not just like go, let's go to the store. It's, man, let's go down on vacation to Disney World. Let's go to South America. Let's go to Mars. You know, it's this heavier connotation in this word go. It can also mean to depart from life, depart from life in the sense of dying. But I think in a sense here, this message is from God to say to rise and go. And we think of God's call on Abraham to get up and go and leave the, the, the land of his fathers or anyone in general, really, that we leave our life behind. Um, but it's also to lead or to order one's life. And I think what better order uh, in life, really, than to always be prepared to go when God calls us to. Um, Isaiah 118, I share with us, it's interesting because we're going to see this Ethiopian eunuch in a minute is reading uh, Isaiah as we just read. But it says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that's Isaiah 118. And it's interesting that this word go and this word arise have this idea of going on a journey and arising and getting up and in a sense of having this discussion with someone, this argument per se with someone. And that's what the Lord is saying in the beginning of Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together. Let us argue together. Um, and there's great connotations there. I think it's awesome. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah, so he had read that scripture. Uh, but maybe Philip wasn't doing anything. I'm not saying that Philip was lazy. I'm not saying that, you know, he just was slacking off and wasn't serving in the church. Uh, but maybe he wasn't doing anything, especially given the context of the scenario where this persecution is going out, when people are fleeing, when the church is no longer necessarily free to do the church thing. Maybe he didn't know what the next step was. And this is all conjecture here. Maybe that he was seeking God for where to go and what to do. Maybe he's been praying, God, what do I do? Lord, all this stuff is going on. I don't know where to go, what to do, who to share with, what's safe, what's wrong, what's right, what's your plan for me? Do you want me to stay here? Do you want me to go? You know, the apostles are hanging around, but everyone else is going. And I think if this is the case for his life, and again, this is conjecture. I'm sort of reading into it a little bit. But I think it's a very valid time for Philip to be questioning where to go and what to do, if indeed that's what he was doing. You know, I remember uh, there was a lot of things going on up in New York um, in the past couple years uh, when we were up there and we felt the call of God uh, to eventually come down here uh, to Maryland. Uh, issues with stuff in the church, uh, different people moving in and out, drama, you know, you know how it goes. Um, but we were praying about what to do about a certain situation. Um, and we really felt like, man, God has got us on this like cliff edge. Like we really have to be careful which way we step on which side of what's going on here because it's a very slippery slope um, and that we weren't, we couldn't go on emotion. 
that we couldn't say, oh, I feel like this, or I trust this person, or I go after this person. I really just need to see what is the Lord's will for my life in this really tough situation. Um, and we had to wait on a word and a direction from the Lord before we went anywhere. You know, we really just couldn't say, oh, I'm out of here, or oh, I'm going to stay here for whatever reason, or I'm going to go over here or do this. So it really had to be a word from the Lord. And I think that that's important. And when we do go through tough situations and hard times that we really go, man, I really can't rely on my emotions right now. I can't really rely on my relationships right now. I need to rely on what the Lord would say uh, to, to me. Um, but this word, you know, it was active. It was a way to stand up and to prepare for a journey. You know, I've moved about nine times since I got saved in 2003, whether moving out from my mom's and in with friends to move into another place, to get married, to move to a house, move to an apartment, to move to a condo, to moving down here. Um, you know, we save our boxes now. If you go in that closet in the bathroom, you'll see a bunch of boxes. Not that we like want to get out of here by any stretch of the imagination, but that man, we, we'll move eventually. We know it's in the plan, you know. Uh, this is a great apartment we have, but we'd long to have something a little bigger, maybe have a little bit of a yard or something one day. We'll see what the Lord does. But even if that never happens, I'm sure um, if the Lord doesn't come back, we'll move at least one more time. Um, but this was an important journey. You know, that this, this command for Philip from the Lord through the angel to arise and go was something very important. It wasn't just, hey, can you get up and go to the store and get me some potato chips? It was, no, Philip's probably been praying about something and God shows up and says, hey, it's time to go. And it's interesting that he gives, the angel gives him specific directions. You know, go on this road, go south, go this way, on this exact road. Um, you know, GPS again, you put in directions in GPS, Google will give you a bunch of different directions. Do you want to go by plane, train, car, bus, whatever? Uh, do you want to take tolls, no tolls? This one, this angel is very specific. He didn't just say go south and eventually get to the city, go on your favorite way. He said, take this exact road. Take this exact way. You know, go out here, take 270 south. Make sure you stay right. Make sure you go towards Virginia. Don't go to the way you want to go. Um, but he says, uh, go here. Um, you know, I like those specific instructions. What's next on the highway? My wife's in the car with me. I'm like, what's next? What's the next exit? What exactly is the exit number? You know, I need a very specific. So I'm driving. I don't have to think about it. I can just beeline to it. Um, but he says, Jerusalem to Gaza. And I'm going to read a, a little bit of a Bible dictionary about this region, you know, uh, from Easton's Bible dictionary. It's called uh, Aza, which is Hebrew name. Um, it's a strong city on the Mediterranean shore, remarkable for its early importance as the chief center of great commercial traffic with Egypt. It is one of the oldest cities of the world. Its earliest inhabitants were the Abims, who were conquered and displaced by the, these other guys, a Philistine tribe. In the division of the land, it fell to the lot of Judah. It was the southernmost of the uh, five great Philistine cities, which gave each a golden emerald as a trespass offering unto the Lord. Its gates were carried away by Samson, if you remember. He was afterwards a prisoner and did grind in the prison house. He was also pulled down the temple of Dagon and slew all the lords of the Philistines, which is saying the God of Dagon, those are the same ones that Jonah, uh, that the Babylonians had worshipped, and Jonah went out as the fish god. Um, uh, Samson pro uh, died there. Uh, the prophets denounced the judgments of God against it. It's referred to in Acts, in which we're reading right here. Um, the desert road, probably by Hebron, through the desert hills of southern Judea. It is noticed uh, on monuments as early as B.C. 1600. It's a small port now called Elmina. But anyway, another dictionary says, The most uh, southwesterly town in Egypt, and lay in the great route between Syria and that country, being in position and strength, as its name means, the key of the line of communication. 
and it withstood Alexander's siege with resources of five months. So this is a strong city. This is a major city. He's got to go on this desert road, but it's going somewhere very important. This uh, old city, the strong city, but it was uh, a key line of communication between the Middle East and going down towards Egypt and into Africa. But this road uh, says this is desert or a deserted place that, you know, it's an empty road, a lonely road. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a long road trip and you're on the road and it's like, man, there's nothing here. Um, in my commute in New York, there was a stretch of road that was like that 15, 20 minutes of just nothing. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know anything was beyond there until I <laughs> moved up there. It was the end of the world. You know, the, it fell off at the end. Um, so it's easy to fall asleep in that stretch of road. Um, but it was a lonely road. You know, it was away from the hustle and bustle um, and no one to ask for directions, uh, let alone insight on the Hebrew scriptures. So this Ethiopian's on his trip, in his chariot, reading Isaiah on this deserted stretch of road. He can't even ask anybody for directions if he needs them, let alone to answer his questions about the scriptures. So this angel comes to Philip and tells him to arise and go. And what does Philip do? He gets up and he goes. You know, simple instructions require simple obedience. You know, God's going to ne not necessarily give you something complicated to do. Um, it may be hard, it may be long, it may be drawn out, there may be complicated details down the road, but the essence of the message is very simple when God gives us instructions, because I don't know about you, but me, I'm very, I need stuff very simple, otherwise um, I'm going to overcomplicate it. And we see, uh, because of this in the Bible, we see some of the greatest works of God do, done through simple acts of obedience. A lot of the great things God does is simple. Hey, Moses, go down. Hey, Moses, bring my people out. That's a very simple command. You know, bring my people out of Egypt, but look at how much it entailed. Um, you know, I think that that's what makes a man great, his obedience to God, a man or woman, anyone, really. But we, look at, we think of people like maybe Billy Graham or Dr. Stanley, or Chuck Smith, or others that we can think of, probably people even in our own lives who have influenced who, what really makes them great? Was it that they were super wealthy, super famous, or super humble, and super poor, and they gave, you know, was it really these things, or is it really that the people that we know were just obedient to God? They necessarily weren't perfect people, but that they were obedient to God. You know, I think about guys like that, and I go, man, what really separates me from Billy Graham other than years and the call in his life and the call in my life? But I have to wonder sometimes, and maybe a little too much self-defeating, but man, maybe I'm just not as obedient as he is. Maybe he's just obedient to God in everything, and I'm just obedient to God in 1% of things. I don't know. Not that our obedience qualifies us in any sense, um, you know, or makes us better in God's eyes per se, but I think maybe you can hear what I'm saying, that man, maybe there's just this quality of obedience that... Uh, we need to pay more attention to. You know, like First Samuel fifteen twenty two says, you know, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? You know, sometimes it's much easier uh, to make a show of things or to, to give up something than it is to simply just say, okay, God, I'll obey you. But this eunuch was from Ethiopia and Africa. You know, uh, Madre Ethiopia, kind of a, a sad state, a third world country. You know, we hear about those pirates over there in Islam and uh, all sorts of uh, war and warlords. Uh, but back then, Ethiopia was a, this whole area, really, Kush, the kingdom of Kush, uh, was a, a rich region, a powerful region in Africa at its time. Uh, and this guy was a eunuch. Uh, he was a bed guard, more specifically, is sort of the literal translation of it. But he guarded women for the royalty. Um, and some guys might be like, yeah, I'll be the, the guard for all the, the women and the royalty. Well, 
you know, they probably castrated him at a young age before he could become, you know, a man, before things could be changed so that he wouldn't have those desires to, uh, to take any of the king's wives. Uh, but he oversaw the treasury. So this guy was, um, you know, a jet setter. He was on a business trip for international trade. He was powerful in the kingdom. He oversaw the money, sort of, you think of like Joseph um, uh, in, uh, in the Bible when he oversaw all those things of the Pharaoh. But who was he um, in charge of these things for? It was for Candace of the Ethiopians. And uh, uh, this word Candace uh, is from, uh, I'm not going to say it right, but it's spelled a little differently. And it was a title for queens of this ancient kingdom of Cush in the Nile Valley. Um, derivative is Candace, um, and it really means queen or queen mother. Um, and the queen, the specific queen, may have been Amanatore. Uh, I don't know that I'm saying her name right either, but she was one of the last great Kush builders. So there's this great empire of the Kush. Uh, the queen's names are Candace, and it's really like she's powerful and also has this idea of being a warrior queen and leading people to battle, um, you know, maybe sort of like a Joan of Arc type person. Uh, but she was one of the great builders, almost a Solomon of her day where she's building and expanding the kingdom. She was uh, revol- involved in restoring a large temple uh, for Ammon and Moreau. Uh, these temples that are uh, historic sites today. Um, they also retained a lot of water. So it was very, it was an advanced kingdom, a powerful kingdom in Africa at the time. Um, and it says the quantity of the building that was completed during the middle part of the first century indicates that this was the most prosperous time in uh, Meroitic history, that this nation was no nation to be joked around with, that this guy who was the treasurer was in charge of a lot of money, was in charge of a lot of things in this kingdom, and he was in this area. Um, and she was actually well regarded by historians and been included as number 39 in the list of the 50 greatest Africans. Um, and another historian indicates that the Ethiopians had conquered ancient Syria and the Mediterranean. These people had some gained influence. Egypt had waned a little bit and they had come up quite a bit. Uh, but what potential here? What a person for, to be reaching out to was this Ethiopian eunuch. Was this guy on this road who's reading the scriptures on his business trip that God says, Go out and reach this guy. Why? Because he's very influential. He's very powerful. He knew the queen um, in this kingdom at the time. What an open door to reach an entire people group. An entire continent could have, was reached through this man. That the gospel had to go south into Africa. And God didn't let it take too long for that to happen. He said, let's get it there through this guy. And it was a major civilization at his time. And I think that that's awesome. But it's cool that this guy had come to worship in Jerusalem. Like I said, he was on a trip. He was out there probably doing some commerce and some trade, being the treasury guy. But he wanted to go to the Jewish temple while he was there, meaning he had heard about the God of Israel. He had heard about these things. In fact, he was reading Isaiah, of all things, a very prophetic book. Um, and he was seeking God, and he couldn't pass up on that. You know, they had a lot of gods at the time. You know, this Candace built temples for other gods, but not so for the treasurer. He was seeking the living God. He was reading Isaiah. As we know, it's been called uh, a mini Bible. You know, there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 are filled with judgment of sin on Judah. The last 27 are more sort of a message of hope, as you might compare with the New Testament. Uh, Isaiah's ministry covered 40 years and four kings of Judah, this very region that they're in right now. Uh, But Isaiah's name, name means Yahweh's salvation, very similar to Jesus, Yahweh's salvation. But he was a prophet. And a lot of Isaiah uh, has a lot of, a lot of the scriptures predicting the coming of the Messiah that are quite famous, we know from Isaiah, like 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
shall call his name Emmanuel, that's Isaiah, 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This guy had read these. Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, a verse that even Jesus quotes. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All these great verses. I'm sure you could go quickly and easily find many more that are powerful and famous. Uh, but this guy was reading the scriptures. I think it's important to realize what exactly he was reading about the Messiah coming. Salvation coming. A king and a ruler coming. Um, and he believed, you know, he went to temple. He was on his trip, and he went to Jewish temple. He wanted to worship God, which is great. Uh, let's go on, verse 29 in Acts 8. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. And we'll stop there. You know, the Spirit said to Philip, and Philip had to hear that. He had to hear that still small voice saying, hey, go near. Overtake the chariot. You know, Philip obeys. He goes down on this desert road. He's walking down this desert road. He sees this chariot and this procession of people. They're obviously, you know, they have the diplomatic plates on the back of their car. And the Spirit says, hey, go and overtake that chariot. And I don't think the chariot was doing 80 miles an hour at this point. I mean, maybe it was. Maybe God gave Philip superhuman, you know, uh, uh, Usain Bolt strength to run after him. Or maybe he just ran up and caught up with it. You know, the guy's reading the chariot. People are walking with it. It's probably a bunch of, it's a whole bunch of people moving at this time. A caravan, maybe. Um, but man, the intimacy of the spirit. Are we listening and obeying? When we hear that still small voice, when we're just going and being obedient to what God said, and then God kind of gives us a little bit of course change, you know, get over in the right lane now. Take this exit now. Are we going to listen to that? To go and overtake the chariot. Um, you know, as he does that, he hears him reading out loud. This guy is reading out loud. It's not that uh, Philip had to go up and say, hey, uh, God sent me here. He just shows up and hears this guy reading Isaiah. And all the crew, all those at least maybe uh, running the chariot and running the people around him, because we see later he tells them to stop the chariot, um, they would have heard. They would have heard this guy reading Isaiah out loud. I think that that's great. But what does Philip say? Does he give him a message? Does he go, what did Peter say at the at Pentecost? You know, what, did, what was uh, Stephen's message? I have my notes from there. No, he just simply asks him, you know, do you understand what you're reading? Again, simple call. Go down there. Simple. Go up to this chariot and draw near to it. They might hear what's going on and know what's going on and just say, do you understand that scripture that you're reading? You know, do you know the depth of what's being said by Isaiah the prophet here? Do you get the connotation? Do you get the application? Do you know who this scripture is talking about? And that's exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch said. He goes, 
hey, who's it, who's this about? Is this about Isaiah or someone else? And we'll see in a minute. But he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And man, don't a lot of people feel that way? If you talk to them about the Bible or even Christians and you ask them about the Bible, they feel that way about the scriptures. And I do too. Sometimes, a lot of times I go, I don't know what that means. What does the commentary say? Or let me listen to a message on that. Or let me ask somebody, you know, um, Sometimes it's hard to understand what the Bible says. Sometimes we don't know what it means, um, especially before we know the Lord. You know, you kind of read the Bible and go, well, it's, it's got to be true, but I don't really get it yet. But how could he be understood those things unless he was taught? You know, not everyone gets it again, and that's okay. That's okay. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible. The core message is simple. You know, my kids watch um, uh, Superbook DVDs where these, they show a little kid's story, and then uh, the Bible basically takes them back to a story in the Bible, and they learn a lesson, and they meet the characters, see the story, and my kids love it. But it's so simple. My daughter sings songs, and she sees the message, and she talks about Jesus and him being alive and David and Noah. And I go, God is great. He makes it so simple that any one of us can understand it. Um, but sometimes we need to be told a little bit about why. You know, just like my little girl would ask, why? Why? In that two-year-old voice. Um, and I, I tend to forget that. You know, I grew up around the church and I've been in the church for a while, but I forget that sometimes not everyone has really heard what the Bible said. I almost take it for granted just because I was taught it as a child that not everyone on the street, not everyone in my office knows what the Bible says, even in basic childlike terms, who some of these characters are. Um, and sometimes there's like this disconnect there. And sometimes it's like, well, maybe I do need to share. Maybe I won't share because I think they know this already. That's obvious, but it's, it's not always obvious to everybody. But it says that Philip drew near, you know, and then he gets up on the chariot when this guy invites him. And I don't know. I mean, this is, sorry, I'm about to sneeze here. Excuse me. But the chariot's moving. This guy's very powerful. He might, you know, he might even have a, a high voice. You know, who knows what his voice sounded like as, as a eunuch. And he's reading Isaiah, but he says, come up here with me. And so Philip draws near to him. And I think that's great that Philip was like, all right, I don't even know this guy. God's called me down here. This is getting more interesting by the moment, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to talk to the Bible with it. I think it's great. You know, people, we have to draw near to people first before they invite us in. You know, we have to come near and show them that, hey, we're, we're interested in their lives. We're interested in what's going on. And, and, you know, as Philip asked him, you know, do you understand? You know, he cared about this guy's need to understand it before he was invited in. You know, I think sometimes we keep the world at arm's length, guys. I think sometimes we say, hey, how are you? Stay over there on that side of the room. And I think sometimes that's warranted. Sometimes we need to keep certain people at arm's length. You know, it's probably not safe or, or, or it maybe it's dangerous for our family. But those are times, man, we need to let those walls down. We need to draw near to people uh, who don't know the Lord yet. And again, this guy was seeking, seeking the Lord. Um, you know, but more often than not, I think God wants us to draw near to people. Not to meet our needs, so to say, like, hey, you know, be friends of the world in a sense. But, yeah, be friends of the world. Not to meet our needs, but to what? To meet their needs. To introduce them to Jesus. You know, the idea of, quote, unquote, friendship evangelism. You know, I'll, I've shared the gospel with people in the past while on the streets. but I, And sometimes it's effective, sometimes it's not. And I don't do it that often. I can't even remember the last time I did it. But more often than not, man, when you're friends with someone and you can just share the Bible with them or... Say, hey, I'm praying for you. Man, does that not open up a great door um, because you've drawn near and shown them that there's a reality there? But he's reading Isaiah 53, and he asks, Isaiah or Jesus? You know, is this, is this Isaiah or who is this? You know, it might be about Isaiah, but I, I'm not totally convinced it's there. And I think it's interesting that 
that the eunuch already really kind of understands the scriptures. Yeah, he has this question, but because he doesn't just immediately assume it's Isaiah, God's really working on his heart. And he, maybe he does understand more than he realizes. Um, but it's a good question in a sense because Isaiah means God is salvation. Uh, you know, and a lot of prophets, a lot of people will claim their own goodness. And maybe this is what Isaiah is doing in an underhanded way for good or bad. But um, Isaiah is not doing that. Maybe that's what the eunuch thinks he's doing. But really, real prophets speak for Jesus. We've heard real men love Jesus. Real prophets speak about Jesus and proclaim his goodness and not their own. Uh, but th verse 35 is a key. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture did what? Preached Jesus to him. You know, very simple. This is the question. This is the verse. What's, what's going on here? And Philip says, okay, let's start with this verse. And I'm going to lead you straight to Jesus. Preach Jesus to him. You know, Philip picked up right where this guy was spiritually. And he led him to the Lord. You know, there's no need for Philip to go back to Genesis. No need for Philip necessarily to break out the Ten Commandments and ask him if he's a sinner. Um, God was already working on that. Um, not necessarily that Philip couldn't have gone those routes. But man, Philip did it so quickly, so directly, right from where he was. And best of all, I think, very simply. This is where the guy was in the scripture. This is where the guy was as far as his understanding of scripture. Well, let me complete this for you. Let me help you get there. And I think sometimes we miss the boat when sharing Jesus, when we try to go another route, when we try to educate someone, when we try to correct someone. Maybe they have all this other doctrine wrong, but they've got this one little spiritual thing that if we would just kind of put the hook there, and get them to go in that direction, it might be interesting. You know, it's like fishers for men. But I think we need to just take them from the hand, right where they've caught, right where they've stumbled, right where they've been hurt, and lead them to the Lord from there. If someone's hurt, we don't need to kind of beat them up with the Ten Commandments. We need to minister to them as the Lord would and show God's love to them. And yeah, bring them about the conviction of sin, but I think there's a different method and a time. You know, I was at Dunkin' Donuts yesterday, and there was this dad talking about manipulating people with his son. Like, it was this father-son talk. And I'm like, this is weird. I could tell the guy was very heady and just very, like, all these norms. And, like, he's like, you can use it for this, for a better business, and get what you want. And all that. I'm like, oh, man. Um, so I prayed for them. I didn't want, you know, I'm not going to jump in on that. But, um, man, that's not how we need to be as Christians. We don't need to manipulate people to the Lord. We don't need to kind of mix stuff up we just need to lead them gently and really in love love is going to do the quote-unquote manipulation if we just love people for the lord that's going to begin to move them and make them and why really because we can't save anyone we can't force anyone and we can't make anyone i'm sure that when each of us got saved there's people in our lives we're like please you know grab my neck get saved trust in jesus and not there's necessarily anything wrong with that in the long long run but really Man, we love them so much. We've come to the truth. We want them to come to the truth, but uh, we just can't force people to do it. And so sometimes we just need to go the route that's right before us and take them there. Let's go on. Verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, uh, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, uh, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, excuse me, and he baptized him. Now when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And we'll stop there. It says, then they came to some water. You know, remember, they're in the desert. They're driving along. I don't know if you're, again, like that whole 
road trip analogy, but you're driving and you keep watching the gas gauge and you pass a rest stop, you're like, I can make it a little bit further. And next rest stop, 48 miles. <laughs> like, oh, I can make it. You know, I just had a big gulp, but I, you know, I don't have to go to the bathroom yet. <laughs> Halfway there, you're like, where's the rest stop? <laughs> you know, they come up to this water. They see this oasis, in a sense, in the desert. Um, um, you know, it's dusty, it's dry, and it had to be hot. You know, you guys are from California. <laughs> it's really hot and dry there this year. But again, it's so practical, so applicable, and so simple, you know, that they had been reading the Bible. They were in this desert, this dry land, and all of a sudden this understanding of the Bible comes to them from Philip. Whoa, it's like fresh water in the wilderness. But I'm sure that Philip must have talked to him about salvation and baptism for him to even speak of baptism. Um, and he goes, hey, you know, here's some water. You just taught me about this. I've been seeking the scriptures. I believe it. You know, what, what is there to prevent me from getting baptized? Can I get baptized too? Can I be a part of this? Um, I think that's amazing, you know, that the eunuch had such childlike faith, that God brought Philip there, and this guy's like, hey, can we do this? Is there any reason why we can't? You know, maybe I don't understand enough of the scriptures yet. Maybe there's something else I need to do. Um, you know, what else do I have to do, really? You know, again, we think of when the gospel is shared in Acts, and, and people go, well, well, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Um, and I think of uh, baptisms in New York. You know, we had baptisms in the pool. Baptisms at the YMCA, baptisms at a lake, all different places. And there'd be times when, you know, we'd have a, all the time we'd have a, a sign-up sheet for these baptisms. And people would come and get baptized. We'd have certificates and everything for them. Um, but there'd be times when people would be there and they would just be moved and they would be baptized. Whether it was kids, whether it was adults, a friend of ours, an older person, a family member, that they would just say, hey, can I just get baptized? I remember uh, the last summer we were there, people just got in with their clothes on. Just like, I want to be baptized. You know, a girl in a nice dress, a man in his nice clothes. It was like, all right, let's do this. Any more? Any more? And again, you know, the situation doesn't make something special. It's the heart behind it that, yeah, the people who signed up on the sheet and want to get baptized for two months before they had the baptism, awesome. No worse or no better, per se, than the people who are there. Man, I just want to get baptized. I need to do this. You know, do you want to get baptized? Is there water right here? You know, I'll put the tub on and I'll dunk you. Like, sincerely. Sounds funny, but really, if you want to be baptized, what's to stop us? What's to stop us, really? You know, why not? Why not? You know, and that's exactly why this, what, why this, excuse me, this Ethiopian did it. You know, he loved God. Why not? We read the scriptures. I believe the scriptures. God brought you to me. There's water. Why not? We can stop this chariot. I don't need to be home. You know, I'm not in that much of a rush. And even if he was, he knew what was more important. You know, this man had his body altered, probably forcibly as a, as, a, as a kid. You know, he can't be intimate with anyone, you know, in that physical sense. He's rich, he's powerful, he travels, but he knows that God is real. And he's in a position of honor. You know, think about this guy. He probably had nice clothes, a nice chariot, you know, maybe water shouldn't get on what he was wearing. I don't know. Um, but he's so sold out. He's so in love with Jesus that he sees a pond in the desert. You know, why not? I think of my friend Nate, who's a missionary in China right now. Uh, we used to do a youth group together years ago, and we would do these uh, sort of scavenger hunt type things, uh, or it wasn't really, it was like a list of things to do, and it was, they were more like a bunch of dares you had to do. And one was take a picture of yourself on a body of water, or a bunch of people in a body of water. So some kids like found a puddle and put their feet in it and had a picture taken. He finds this like dirty old lake <laughs> at the corner of an overpass by a car dealership and jumps in. <laughs> Yeah, this is totally Nate Malone. He's awesome. But uh, he comes back and he's like toweling off and everything. But that's what I think of here that, man, why not? Here's some water. Let's get this done and over with. And I think we need to be the same exact way.
you know, uh, what kind of love do we have for God if we won't get up and go, if we won't get out of our luxury cars and get wet for Jesus, so to speak, whether it's just being baptized or whether it's, man, God actually rolled down your window and give that guy the gospel or three bucks or your sandwich or whatever it is that we would have childlike faith. Um, you know, as my daughter's always ready willing to go anywhere and do anything. You want to go do this? You want to go get the mail? Yeah, let's go get the mail. You know, you want to go to stores with me this morning? Yeah, let's go. You know, you want to go do this? Yeah, she's, she's all about it. And I think we need to be the same way. You know, Matthew 18, 3 to 4 says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And man, will we just go? Whether it's getting wet in the tub in 20 minutes or it's going out and God calls you to go somewhere or change your life or just get up and go on some desert road that you don't know where it's going, where we just go. And he asked, what hinders me? You know, what should stop him now? You know, like we talked about, does he not understand the scriptures? Is there some sin that hinders him or hinders us from going? You know, is there a lifestyle? What? You know, and what's the only thing that can hinder us really? Unbelief. Unbelief. And that's what uh, Philip says to him here. He says, hey, do you believe? And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's it. That's all that hindered him. The only reason that he needed to get that water was because he believed that Jesus is the Son of God. He's saved. You know, do you mean it? Get wet. Do you believe in Jesus? Go. Get wet for him. You know, and again, this idea that baptism doesn't save. But you know what it does take? Faith. It takes a lot of faith to say, I'm going to get out of my chariot and my fancy clothes, maybe even get down to my skivvies and get in this pond somewhere in the desert. I don't know what lives in there. Maybe there's leeches in there. Maybe there's Loch Ness Monster. I don't know, but I want to get wet and I want to get baptized because he believes it. You know, seriously, you get dunked. What really happens when you go in the pool of the baptism? Pool maybe gets a little dirty. You get wet. You smell like chlorine. But really, it's a public witness. It's a public witness of you dying to your old self and raising with Christ in marriage ceremony. And it's great that this was public, even in the wilderness. Why? Because the guy had people running his chariots, whether it's one guy, two guys, a bunch of people. His whole entourage saw that. They heard the gospel. They saw this guy show up, explain the gospel and, and Isaiah to him. And then they see that this guy gets baptized. And what happens? The guy who was in charge got saved. And I ask, how would our job change if our boss got radically saved? The CEO of your company became a believer. Whew. What would change? I mean, I'm thankful that my boss became a believer a couple years ago. And so it's great. There's this report we have there. Um, but man, how much would change if, if he got radically saved, quote unquote, radically? And I think we really, we use that term these day and age when we should just say when they really got saved, you know, because if you're really saved, you're going to be somewhat radical. Um, but when they came up out of the water, uh, you know, basically they just get out, they climb up out of the pool, they're on the steps. And Philip all of a sudden disappears. You know, maybe the eunuch turns around to grab his towel and then Philip's gone, you know, rapture style. He's gone. He's aware. And man, what a day for this guy. What a week. You know, you go on your business trip, uh, you know, you got your plane ticket, you go out, you go to church while you're there because you're away on the weekend, you're away in the middle of the week and then you're way back. This happens. He gets saved, you know. Wouldn't your eye like flip out at this? This whole, think about this whole scenario. Think about yourself being the Ethiopian eunuch. You're on this trip, you, you read the Bible, you don't know what it says. This guy shows up out of nowhere on a desert road, hops on, shares the gospel with you, gets baptized, and then he disappears. That's pretty nuts. That's pretty nuts. I would say, what was in that water? <laughs> was I just imagining this? Was it a heat stroke? What was it? 
But he goes on his way rejoicing. And it reminds me of people in the Bible who got healed. Lepers, you know, the woman at the well. They go on, this man told me all about myself. This man healed me. I can walk. I can see because of Jesus. That he goes on. That there was a definite change in this man's life. It wasn't just another check on the box. I went and did my religion. He went and there was a difference. He was saved. And I think that's a beautiful picture. Singing, rejoicing, and change. You know, I bet the trip was night and day from going there <laughs> to on the way back, you know. Maybe he was complaining the whole, hey, it's hot. Can you guys carry this thing any faster and make the camels go any faster or whatever? Telling back, he's rejoicing and singing the praise in Jesus. And I ask, you know, what was your trip here like this morning? What was it like getting here this morning? And will we go away rejoicing? You know, if we've spent any time with God, I guarantee that we will be. It doesn't mean that we're going to be leaping down the street or I want to be leaping into the kitchen later. Maybe it depends on what wife's making for lunch. But man, is there some sort of difference? You know, is there, has God really, you know, ministered to us and touched us in a way that we would be able to go away um, changing? And we're going to close up here with this last verse. Um, verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And I think it's great that the next verse says, but Philip was found at Azotus. <laughs> he didn't totally disappear. He wasn't like Elijah being taken up or, um, you know, any of the other people in the Bible. We see that happen too. Um, you know, he shows up somewhere else. He's basically been teleported. And this word, uh, this city of Zotus is also, you may be familiar with it as Ashdod. And it's also another one of these five stronghold cities of the Philistines. Um, uh, but he ends up in another one of the strong cities there. You know, God said, hey, go down and go. Draw near and then you did what you're supposed to do with this guy. So I'm bringing you somewhere else. That this was only the first leg of the journey. You know, maybe Philip thought he'd be back by lunch. But he's got more journey to go on. Um, you know, Jerusalem was south. And then, so basically, you know, uh, if we're looking at Israel and the Mediterranean, he's here, he goes south a few miles, meets up with the eunuch, then he gets transported over here to the Mediterranean coast and begins to go north up the coast uh, to Caesarea. You know, these cities, you know, one used to have the Temple of Dagon, are being reached by God yet again. These are the cities, like we talked about before, that Jonah had gone to. Jonah had gone to. You know, God still had mercy on these people. I was just reading uh, in... Um, Joshua. Joshua is going through all these cities and it's the same cities. And God has mercy on them. He wants to bring them uh, to faith. But where did Philip think he was going as we get ready to close here? You know, he had no clue. You know, an angel told him to get up and go down. The spirit tells him to draw near. This Ethiopian gets saved who, hey, Philip, you didn't, you didn't disciple this guy. <laughs> God took him away. The Ethiopian eunuch went on his way and brought the gospel um, away. Uh, the spirit takes Philip to the coast. And now he has to walk the rest of the way to be able to share with the people on the way. Um, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, like we saw, goes to, back to East Africa and the gospel goes with him. We know the gospel got to Africa. I'm sure at least one other person got saved and it, and it was down there. Um, but I think sometimes we're looking for a miracle to get us there. But sometimes we just need to get up and go. You know, first thing he did, he went up and walked. God used the miracle to get him somewhere else. But what do you have to do? He had to keep walking pretty far, actually, up the coast. I didn't measure it, but it was, it's far. You know, Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You know, the gospel has gone out. Have we gone out with it? Are we willing to get up and go and, uh, where God has asked us to go? And I think sometimes, like I said, we pray for miracles to happen. God, to uh, would you let this happen before I go? Or would you let this happen? Or would you get me there through a miracle? And sometimes God, sometimes God will do that. Sometimes that's what it takes, as we see here. But sometimes it really takes 
uh, simple obedience um, just to get up, arise, and go. And Father, we ask that, Lord, you'd help us to uh, listen to you and be obedient to you. Lord, it's such a pleasure when my children are obedient. Um, Lord, I love them the same either way, and I want to bless them the same either way. But God, uh, how great it is when they just want to be obedient. And Lord, I ask that uh, we would give you that same pleasure of just being obedient to you. That God, when you ask us to get up and go somewhere, that we would have childlike faith. And God, if it's just to get baptized, or uh, which is an amazing thing, or to go out and share the gospel, or to move uh, somewhere on the other side of the world, I ask that you would help us to be uh, ready for that. And that God, not just for our sake, but that the gospel would go out, that people would be reached and saved. And we ask it uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.